starting at verse 1. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if you'll raise your hands, the ushers will bring a Bible to you. Is there anybody here who needs a Bible? If so, just raise your hand. Everybody's good? Very good. Very impressive. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter in, and those whom it first preached did not enter in because of disobedience again he designates a certain day saying in David today after such a long time as it has been said today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts father I just pray as your voice goes out through your word I pray father that we would have soft pliable hearts to it father we would be convicted that we would allow change to be worked in our lives and then through our lives and so father once again just bless us teach us and instruct us to your glory we ask in jesus name amen you can go ahead and be seated it was for 40 years that the jews wandered in the wilderness what does it mean to be a wilderness wanderer it's to be informed but unresponsive. It's to understand the glory of God, but not follow through in what you know to be his will. It's to be immersed in the word of God, but to not apply it to your life. Informed is to have God plague your enemies, part your seas, and provide for your needs. It's salvation and deliverance, but allowing your trust in God to stop there. It's through a lack of faith to think that he will never act in your life again when, in fact, God wants to interact in your life daily. And it's in this aspect of the Christian life that you find those who are never content. They're never happy. They're lacking in joy, and they become very critical because they can't find the faith to totally trust in the Lord. And in the typical church of born-again believers, The dynamic is really one of a tale of two cities, regardless of your church. You see this dynamic in existence there. You have the worryful wanderers and you have the restful reliers. So as we need no lesson on wandering and worrying because we naturally regress towards that, today we're going to look at what it means to be resting and relying in the Lord to truly be trusting and exercising faith and finding that peace of God that surpasses understanding because of these things. So I guess as we were looking a little bit at it last week and immersing in it this week, this concept of rest, it's four-faceted, and it's these things that I want to look at and rest, establish this foundation so that we understand what this unknown writer of Hebrews is speaking to those Jews back in Jerusalem who are thinking of entering in, going back into their past religious system. 
And the first facet of rest, you'll like this, at least on the surface, is vacation. When we go on vacation, it can be very restful. We went up to Seattle a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago now, to visit my daughter. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I was thinking, okay, I can bring this and do that and go up there. Then it hit me, I'm on vacation. And this vacation thing is kind of nice. Vacation literally means a state of emptying. It's to stop doing what you are normally doing, a cessation from work, worry, and daily wandering. In God's rest, we vacate. We empty ourselves of works for salvation. Efforts to gain his favor, no longer are we to put forth those efforts. Salvation for me was a vacation from religion. It was a vacation from the legalism, from the works-orientated salvation. It was vacation from the mindset that God is mad at me and God wants to judge me just as soon as I mess up. But when I found out that my God was a loving God and he loved me to such a degree that he'd give his only begotten son, it's then that I was able to find rest in that aspect of my life, which in actuality is the totality of my life. In God's rest, we vacate from so many different... We empty ourselves from all of those teachings that were contrary to the Scriptures. All of those good ideas that turned out to be false ideas and find rest in His truth. God's vacation, it started at the point of grace. It continues in grace and will for always be in grace. The second facet of rest is freedom from your daily pressures. I have an air compressor at home. Actually, it's here at the church. I've been doing some work. In order to use it properly, for the tools that I have, I have to bring it up to 120 PSI, 120 pounds per square inch. Now, as I'm going, the pressure goes up and down. It fluctuates depending upon the usage of the tool that I'm using. But even when it's not in use, even, I think even now, as it's sitting back in that warehouse, it's sitting there, it's pressurized at 120 pounds per square foot. You can pull the plug, but at some time, you have to release the pressure release valve. And what does that do? Hell, it's all the pressure out. Because, see, you saw the first concept in rest to go on vacation. You've been on vacation, but sometimes you keep the pressure in there. And a salvation, you come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but some of us have kept those old religious practices there, and the pressure is still there. And there needs to be that relief of that pressure in order to find that rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. This rest is freedom from that which disturbs you. Freedom from what we see going on across the world and even in our nation today. It's to have a higher awareness of all of these things than you do in what God has done and will do and continues to do in your life. See, some can unplug and go to bed at night, sleep for eight hours and not get any rest because of all of these things that are going on. There are those nagging thoughts that just won't go away. We went on vacation. I don't remember when it was, not too long ago. I was with my wife. I think we were going to Washington, but I don't remember. And as we're driving away, it was that same old pressure. Did I turn the stove off? Did you turn the stove off? Because, like, what if the stove is running for the next however many days we're going to be gone? And I'm thinking, this is going to be insane. That's all she's going to be thinking about the whole vacation. And now that's probably all I'm going to be thinking about. And I told her, it's okay. We have fire insurance. 
that did not soothe her worry. So we called up our daughter, and our daughter came over and said, yeah, the stove is off. And there was, yeah, exactly. There was the leaving of that pressure. For me, it's always driving off. Did I close the garage door? And I've kind of gotten past that because you just do it without thinking. But then the other day, my wife sent me a text, and the text had a picture, and it was a picture of the garage door being open. She had left before I did. She went to the gym, and I don't remember where I was going, but I I usually go out through the front door, but I went out through the garage, opened the garage door. I was sitting there, and I backed my truck into the driveway, so I wasn't seeing it. I just got in, and I drove off, and the garage door was wide open. And so now I've got this pressure back in my life. But we see the degree that it can hinder our spiritual lives because the Lord Jesus Christ, he spoke about this in Matthew 13, verse 22. Now he who received the seed amongst the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful or he becomes stagnant. The third facet of rest is freedom for your future. Not freedom from your future, but freedom for your future. Let me ask you. What's going to go on when you leave church today? What's going to happen in your life? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week, next month, or even next year? You don't have a clue what's going to happen. What's going to go on in our society as far as economically or, or, or politically or, 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 or with the Trump and, the, and, the, and the, the Comey thing and the liberals and the conservative and the direction that we're heading and all of this mess and they're talking about impeachment and they're talking about jail for others and it's insane. And you can allow that. What, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in our future? And I can, you can even go pretty deep with this. What about the rotation of the earth? What happens if the earth stops rotating? Did you ever think of that? What's making the earth rotate? Well, God. And you can work backwards from that, and God's hand is upon our political system. God's hand is upon all the stuff that we hear about in the news. God's hand is upon you here at church, but even when you leave church and then tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. That's the peace and the trust that we have in God because God inhabits eternity. He exists in our future. In God's rest, all those things above are important, but in the big picture, they don't matter. The restful relier has absolute trust in God, his power, and who he is. And that's why we study the Bible. The main reason that we study the Bible is to know God. When you know God, it takes care of a lot of the details of life. The greater degree that you come to know God, the more you enter into that relationship, the more you're able to trust in God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, we're told to cast all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. And then the fourth facet of rest is superior support. I have found the older that I get, the more I lean, the more gravity works against me, the harder it is to stand up, leaning on a counter, on a table, a wall, or leaning on my wife, whatever it might be, just those moments of support to get a little rest. I I was doing some work in my office, I was doing some flooring, and the hardest part was going down and getting up. Now, you think gravity would work with you going down, and it does, but it works too well. You build up quite a bit of speed going down, and then working against gravity, that's pretty tough as well. And so, yeah, I'm not getting any younger, 
but in the Lord, the Lord is the one who holds me up. It's not about my strength, and the older I get, the weaker I do get. I could do work like that all day long when I was younger, and I'm just not able to do it anymore. But as far as in this life, I've got the Lord. And we're told this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the power would be of God and not of ourselves. An earthen vessel is just simply a clay pot. If you drop the clay pot, it shatters. If there's any forces that work upon it, it's destroyed. There's no strength there. But what is the strength of the clay pot? It's that which is contained inside of it. And what do we have in these fragile bodies? We've got God who will empower us for God's will. So now that we lay this restful foundation, we can move into our text, verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Therefore, even though we saw previously Moses could be trusted. Why? Because he was faithful, and he was faithful to lead Egypt in the will and the power of God. I'm sorry, faithful to lead Israel out of Egypt in the will of God and according to the power of God into the wilderness and he was faithful for 40 years here I am I lead you guys right up to the border and you guys don't enter in you couldn't trust God you know what I quit have you ever felt like that as a parent you know what I've and fill in the blank with your kids I quit well you can't quit because nobody else wants them no we don't want to get stuck with them you're stuck with them. You can't quit, and neither should you quit. And so, even with Moses, though, as faithful as he was, there was the rock incident. Previous, God said to strike the rock, and he did strike the rock, but then God said, talk to the rock. And Moses got so irritated at the people that he struck the rock once more instead of speaking to the rock, and it was because of that that he couldn't enter into the promised land. He got frustrated. He, he lost his faith in God for just a moment because he had his eyes focused upon mankind. So isn't this counterproductive to our description of rest? Isn't what? It says, let us fear. Uh, what, what does that mean? Again, let me read it. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Fear Well, this isn't fear of judgment. This isn't fear of condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 tells us there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. This is a fear to be informed but unresponsive to God's word. Now, that should be a real fear in all of our lives, especially today. I would imagine if I asked you to raise your hands, well, let's, let's, let's play the game. How many people here own a Bible? Raise your hand. So pretty much everybody. How many people here own two Bibles? Pretty much everybody. How many three? Okay, it's going to be a good exercise today. Four. Five. Just keep your hands up and drop them as I go down. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. We're going to draw the line at ten. You can put your hands down. This fear is to be informed but unresponsive to God's God's call and God's command to be unresponsive to God's word. The longer you kept your hand up, other people may have looked at you as a really spiritual person, but you're accountable before God. 
We're all accountable before God because it's not just based upon how many Bibles we own, but look at the opportunities we have on the radio to hear the Word of God, on the Internet to hear the Word of God. Matter of fact, you're not the only ones hearing. We're streaming now. We're streaming on Facebook, so people are able to watch us live, but you people watching us live on Facebook, how come you're not in church? You're accountable now. And you are. We all are accountable, whether in church, online, or wherever it might be, of truly entering into this rest. And he says, you need to have a fear here because God has called you and commanded you to do so. When you're agreeing to what I said, but convinced that it would not change, it's a sad story. Agreeing that this is what God is calling you to do, but not making the change, there needs to be conviction in that. But if you, as I was going through the four facets of rest, realize you have no rest, it says here the promise remains. The promise remains, well, it never goes away. See, as far as salvation to the unbeliever, even though he has not believed, the promise for salvation, it remains. It's always there. Again, as I've said so many times before, as long as man is able, mankind is able to draw breath, there's the opportunity for salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And there's no expiration date on that. As far as entering his rest for the believer, because I didn't say this, but we are talking to believers here. Remember the writer in Rome, this unnamed writer in Rome, is talking to people in Israel who are born-again believers. And so as far as entering his rest for the believer, even though you are informed and unresponsive possibly, the promise remains there's always the opportunity. God said, if you start over with me, I'll start over with you. God is always willing. Today is the day, and we'll see that as we go, for obedience to what God has called us to do, to respond to the Word of God. Because again, if you're not planning on responding to the Word of God, if you're not here to hear what God has to say, what the Spirit has to say to yourself, then you're just wasting time. You're not getting any brownie points with God by presenting yourself here in church. That's not what it's about. It's coming to be informed, to be taught, and to be trained, and then to take these things and to apply them to your lives and to share them with others that are outside of this door. However many people are listening to this message, whether right here, right now, on Facebook, CD, on the radio, later on, whatever it might be, it's all for the purpose of getting the word out. That's what God has called us to do. It's what we need to set ourselves doing getting the word out as far as me doing these things, but as far as you doing the things that are spoken of here as well. Not that I'm um, released from that responsibility in my Christian life as well. Jeremiah 6.16 says, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, whether the good way is, or where the good way is, and walk in it, when then you will find rest for your souls. Find the good way and do it, and then you will find rest for your souls. So how does a born-again believer enter into God's rest? Three basic building blocks. Very methodical teaching here today, so that it is definitely doable. Three basic building blocks necessary for a believer to enter into his rest. The first building block in order to enter into God's rest has got to be faith. 
You can't do it without faith. Verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. When he's speaking of us and them, he's speaking of the Jews... Israel, as they were wandering through the wilderness, preparing to enter into the promised land. He's using that illustration because who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Jews. They would know this Old Testament illustration. The church here today, we know this Old Testament illustration. So, for indeed the gospel was preached to us, and next to us you could write Calvary Chapel, Ontario, as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. How can the word not profit a person if you don't receive it with faith? I mean, this is the word. This is the word of God, the word of God. And if you do not receive the word of God through faith, then you cannot enter in to the rest that God has for you. And so Israel, they had faith to leave Egypt and enter into the wilderness, but never enough to enter into the rest that God had for him, them. God had the promised land. Now keep in mind what the promised land is. The promised land here is not heaven. Why? Because in the promised land there were still battles to fight. We've read the book. There was still sin that was committed. That's not a picture of heaven. For us, Egypt is a picture of the world. It's the time before salvation. And then deliverance into the Um, into the wilderness, deliverance from Egypt, and then as they went into the wilderness, that's immaturity in our Christian life. That was the place of teaching and training. And as we read about that experience, Israel is being taught God and who God is. Valuable lessons as we studied those sections of Scripture, because what is God doing? He's introducing himself to his people. And so they're learning who God is. And so by the time that they get to the border of the, Christ, uh, of the promised land or the blessed Christian life, they should be well studied in who God is, ready to exercise faith in God so that they're able to enter in. And after seeing everything that God did, how God provided for them every step of the way, has God done all of these things? Well, they couldn't enter in. I'm just going to read. You don't need to turn there in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. It says, so this is after they sent spies into the promised land. Now, God told them there's giants in the land. God told them there are cities that have walls built up to the heavens, so it ought not to have surprised them when they saw those things, because God is bigger than all of those things. But in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. When you see that in this context, think of them complaining against God. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. What kind of faith is that? What kind of faith is that? But we've seen it before. In, in the Christian life. People come into the Christian life, and, and just before they're able to really enter into the blessed Christian life, that which God has called them to do, and, and to serving within the body of Christ, it seems hard. It, it seems hard, and it's going to demand something from me, and I don't think I can do that. And 
all of a sudden, instead of moving forward, they're either staying stagnant or even backsliding. And really what the problem here is, is that they don't have faith in what God is able to do and what God wants to do in their lives. Because as we see our weakness, we need to, we need to compare that with the weakness that we see throughout the Bible. All of these people in the Bible are just ordinary people who are used by God. And the power, again, wasn't in the earthen vessel, but the power was in God. And it's the same thing in our lives. The power, the power is to be in the Lord. A New Testament illustration is in Acts chapter 12. It says in verse 1, Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass um, some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the day of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. So what needs to happen is happening here. And so what's going to be the effect? What's going to be the effect of a godless government? What's going to be the effect of a situation that you're even fearful can take your life? And there's nothing that could possibly change because you've got the power of the world and these squads of soldiers. But people are praying for you. Verse 6, when Herod was about to bring him out that night, what was Peter doing? Was he worrying? Was he stressing? Was he backsliding? He was sleeping. Now, if somebody told me, Pastor Mike, God told me that tomorrow morning you're going to die. You're going to die. You're, you're, somebody's going to break into the house. Now, something better. You're going to, in the, in, in the morning, you're going to be sleeping, and you're going to roll the wrong way, and you're going to fall out of bed and break your neck. Because it, without the broken neck. That's what I did the other night. I fell out of bed. I haven't fallen out of bed since I was two years old, and I hit my head on the nightstand. It was a weird thing. Scared my wife, so it was kind of good for that. But other than that, it wasn't a good thing. But let's just say somebody said, your life is going to be required of you. I don't know if I would sleep the night before. I, I, I just don't think I would be able to do that. Not that I wouldn't want to sleep, but I just don't think I could sleep. Peter, the night before he supposedly is going to die, in a situation that he can do nothing for himself, he's sleeping like a baby. What would cause that to happen? He's trusting in the Lord. If God wants me to die tomorrow, then guess what? I'm going to die tomorrow, and there's not a thing that I can do about it. And what you see there is is a man who has faith in God. That's why we are told in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. That's what they were doing. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what happens? Then the peace of God that surpasses understanding is going to guard your hearts and your minds. And so, yeah, our heart, but, you know, our minds can go 100 miles an hour. And our minds always go 100 miles an hour to the bad, to the worst without just taking that time and being still and trusting in the Lord. And trusting in the Lord and understanding that God has a future and a hope for me. That hope is eventually in heaven for some. It'll come sooner for some later, but nonetheless, it's all according to the will of God. It's one thing to know the Gospels. It's a big thing to digest, to receive, and to do the Gospels. It's these things which are essential, especially in these days that we live in. 
The amount of faith that Peter had, well, Jesus said, is all you need is mustard seed faith. A mustard seed is the smallest seed of a plant that is able to bear fruit. And is all you need is just something that minute. And God says, I'll do great things. I'll do great things just with that small bit of faith. I'll move mountains. And so here we have the rest that we are to enter. Look at verses 3 and 4. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. This rest that we're entering into is his rest. This isn't rest that I'm able to foster. This isn't rest that I need to make happen. This is rest that exists and he's willing to give for those who have the faith to enter in. And so I've got to understand that this is what God has prepared for me. The promised land, God had that prepared for his people. But they didn't have the faith to enter in. So what was it? It was back out into the wilderness. I can't remember. I think it was... I just can't remember. It was just a year or two wandering in the wilderness to get there. It was even less than that. But because of unbelief, it was, it was actually, I believe, uh, it was two years from when they left Egypt until they got to the border of the promised land. And because they couldn't enter in by faith, then it was four, uh, 38 years out into the wilderness. Haven't we spent enough time out in the wilderness? I mean, it, Why? It makes absolutely no biblical sense why we would spend another day apart from God's will. But still we do because we buy into our own will. We buy into the will of others of what's going to make us happy. We buy into what Hollywood or whoever else says will make us feel good and feel right. But the problem with those things, they just bring destruction. And we even know that, but we still fall for the trap. And we have these rich blessings from God that is all we have to do is to enter in with faith and God is going to cause a supernatural rest to come upon you as you trust in him. This again is a promise that we have from God and it's those things that that I don't want to say he hasn't called us to trust him. I'm, I'm sorry to test him in that, but we do need to trust him in these things. And as we trust in the Lord, we know that he will never fail. And again, it's one thing to know the gospel. It's a big thing to do the gospel. So God created all that there was, that was necessary to create. And then on the seventh day, God rested. He rested from his works and he saw that it was very good. And even as God created and rested, so Jesus, when he paid the price for all of creation, he rested. He went and he seated at the right hand of the Father. And the idea is because Jesus Christ is seated upon the throne, and if he is truly the Lord of your life, when you find your rest in him, then you will find rest indeed. Now, on Thursday night, we were looking at Christ upon the cross in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, and we were looking at that sign, Jesus Christ, King of the Jews, and I brought up the question, how come it didn't say Jesus Christ the Savior? How come it said Jesus Christ the King and not Jesus Christ the Savior? Well, really, the two are interchangeable, but God's making a point that here is the one who is to be King of your life. And when Jesus Christ is king of your life, he's going to be the savior of your soul. If he's truly the savior of your soul, then Jesus Christ is going to be the king of your life. What did Jesus say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? I mean, this perplexed Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
and not do the things that I say. And if you read through that, you'll see that those who do so are, are going to receive judgment. They're, they're not born again. And, and so I, I've got to see the things. I've got to study the things the Lord has, has for me. And then I have to, if he's the Lord of my life, I have to follow through on them. It'd be kind of like your boss saying, why do you call me boss, boss, and not do the things that I say? You're fired. <laughs> it would make no sense that you would not go and take the instruction of your boss. It would make no sense for Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior and not follow through again on what he has called you to do. And so we see that we must have faith. The second building block in order to enter into God's rest is his promises. There is only one way to enter into his rest, and that's through this foundation of faith and belief. But faith by itself lacks substance. Just to have faith makes absolutely no sense. You have to have a target for that faith. Maybe your faith is upon yourself. Maybe it's the philosophies of the world. Or is your faith in the Lord? And so we all must make that determination. Where is our faith directed to? Verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. They did not trust in the promises that God had given him that, they, that he would go before them in that promised land. So not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now today, if you're wandering in the wilderness, you know your Lord has told you. I mean, look at the rich promises that we have. Either if you are wandering in the wilderness or you're trusting in the Lord, rejoice in the promises. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all of your need in Christ Jesus according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, And we know this is something that the Bible says... This is something that you can know, that you can grasp onto. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purposes. Those whom God calls, God provides for. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice how the Great Commission fits into what we're saying. This is what the apostles are to teach future believers, to observe all things that Jesus commanded them, to observe the commands that were given from the Lord, to do these things and do these things throughout the church age. You are informed by the word of God, but you must respond to the word of God in trust. Israel did not have faith in God, did not trust, and wanted to wander back into the wilderness. And what did they do? Every single one of military age, they died there. They died apart from the blessings and the rest of God. Saving faith without following faith is spiritually dead faith. In James chapter 2, verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? It's non-existent. Verse 5. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. You may look at this divine rest as a fringe benefit for a born-again believer, but it's not. You're commanded to enter into the rest. You're commanded to follow the word of God and to enter in. And God says, when you do this, you'll find rest for your souls. 
Isn't it amazing? I mean, I kind of look at stuff like that. Well, you know, that would be nice, and I hope I get it, or hope I do it. God's commanding us to do it and telling us he's going to do it. Why wouldn't we do it? When we see everything that's going on in our society, why wouldn't we enter into the details of his word through obedience in faith in order to find that peace that surpasses understanding? What's bothering you today? What is it that is welled up within your heart that, well, has caused that 120 pounds of pressure to well up? I guarantee you whatever it is is contrary to God and contrary to God's word. But God still, because he is gracious, wants you to have rest. And that pressure relief valve, that's pulled only by the hand of God. And it's only pulled by the hand of God as we come before the Lord in a humble spirit of repentance and asking for his forgiveness and seeking him out and being proactive in all he's called us to do. And then the last building block, and we'll close with this, in order to enter into God's rest, understand time is of the essence. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 is put here as a warning. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How many believers do you know that have become hard-hearted because they've been overrun by the world, by worries, and even by, them own, by their own selves, by their own actions and their own deeds. Bruised, battered, and beaten because of a lack of belief in the Lord. At what point is a heart hardened? It's to hear this information one more time and to not respond to it. And so it says today. It's not going to be about the raising of hands today. It's not about responding here in church today. This is Nike's catchphrase. Just do it. Just do it. God doesn't want another raised hand. God doesn't want another promise for you because your promises don't mean a hill of beans before a holy God. God's promises are unilateral. That means they're from the throne of God to his people. And the only way, the only way that that you're going to know that you're receptive of what God has for you is when you see yourself following through in obedience. If you don't do that, it's going to be the same thing. And Israel was right there at the border. The promised land was right there. And they had to go back into the wilderness. They had to go back. And just what a tragedy that had to have been. And God even telling them that they're going to be perishing in the wilderness. They did, most people don't know, they did try. Now, God says, now, you had your chance. And they tried to enter in in the flesh, and they were defeated by the first people that they faced, and they were repelled. And so from that point on, that point on, they wandered and they died. The pressure was still there. They had no rest, and they had no peace in God. If you're a born-again believer today, you've got a great future. You're going to heaven. You're going to be with Christ for eternity. But what about today? What about today with all the pressures that life has to offer? What about today with all of the the, the sin that is out there and the sins that we have committed? Don't you want freedom in the Lord? It's up to you. Again, it's a decision that you need to make. It's something that you need to enter in through faith. It's all about the hearing of God's word and the doing of God's word. Father, once again, we just thank you that you have given us your word. 
And Father, I just pray for those who are here today. I pray that your spirit would come upon us. I pray, Father, that, Lord, as everything that you have called us to do, Lord, that you will enable us to do it. And so, Father, enable us to enter into your rest, that we would have that supernatural peace that surpasses understanding. But, Father, it's not just to cause us to put our feet up in a lounge chair. It's to put our feet on the pavement and to move forward, to go forward and make disciples. Father, you want us to have that confidence and that boldness that as we're able to move forward, we're able to move forward for your glory. So, Father, once again, we just thank you for this day. I pray for your word, Lord, that you would make it applicable to the people who have heard it. And just pray, Father, that our response would bring glory to you. And so, Father, again, we just thank you and praise you. We pray for this last song of worship, that you would be blessed, Father, as we cry out from our hearts and just seeking, Lord, once again to recognize your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Again, we have sign-ups for the uh, cells back there with a flyer. The golf tournament, the men's golf tournament is coming up. Guys, I encourage you to sign up for